I want to be in relationships where it's built on trust and truth and honesty, not a relationship that's built on me needing to package myself in order to be digestible to you. That was Nancy Levin. I've been hoping to talk to Nancy for quite some time, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with her about boundaries because it's something I've noticed you here to thrive listeners cannot get enough of. Nancy is a master coach and she's the best selling author of several books. Her latest one is about boundaries and is called Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. I have already recommended this book to people. It is good. It is very good. In this episode, we're diving deep into boundaries and you'll learn more about Nancy and her story, but we're covering what a boundary is, how you can know when you've allowed yours to be crossed, how we cannot heal, fix, save or rescue others. What's selfish, self-love, and self-care all have in common? Authenticity in our relationships and what that actually looks like. The danger of addiction to external validation and approval. Undoing the do-it-all doormat syndrome. And so, so much more. This is a great conversation. If you feel like you need to put a bit more of a focus on boundaries in your life, start here. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Nancy, it is a real treat for me to have you on the show. As I just said to you before we started recording, I have had you on my radar for a number of years. I love that. (laughs) Also, what we're going to be talking about today, which is boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I've just noticed how much my audience craves information about boundaries. Like I really didn't realize how big a topic this was for so many, especially women. But just last week in my Facebook group, there was this whole post blew up about boundaries. And I was like, just hold tight. Just hold tight. I'm going to be speaking to Nancy very soon. Have you noticed that too, that this is a topic that really lands for so many people? Absolutely. This is, it's definitely uh, in the zeitgeist right now. And I think especially because so many of us, first of all, never really learned what boundaries are. We didn't really learn that they were something we could implement. And there's a lot of misrepresentation and misconception and myths around boundaries. So there's a lot of confusion around what they are and what they aren't. And I think that's all leading to a sort of collective seeking of clarity around boundaries and how they can serve us best. Oh, I think you put that so well. How do you describe boundaries then, Nancy, when people ask you what comes up? Yeah, I define a boundary as the limit that I set for myself around what I will or will not do, will or will not tolerate, will or will not accept. So it's really my clarity around what's okay and what's not okay. The other piece of it is really getting clear on that delineation between where I end and someone else begins. And for those of us who have identified in our lives as people pleasers and peacekeepers and not rock the boaters, this is a really dicey proposition because for so many of us, we've been overstepping our own boundary of delineation and We've been inserting ourselves into taking responsibility for other people's experience, taking responsibility for what isn't ours. Mm, I just, 
I I hear it because I'm a recovering people pleaser. I think I've done Mm -hmm. very well in my 30s, but whoa, my teens and 20s were not great. But what I'm kind of hearing you saying is the difference between my problem and not my problem. Yeah, I could say my problem and not and not my problem. And also also in terms of, you know, what's what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility? What is under my control and what is not under my control? And as often as we try to control other people, at some point we learn that we cannot do that. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think when we talk about people pleasers, and I just know that I've had people talk to me and Nancy, you're a coach as well, about how do I cope with hearing the stories I hear and helping people in the way that I do. And I think boundaries have been an integral part of that for me, that I understand that I can't fix people they have to fix Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. but when I think of some of my own boundary issues in my 20s it was that I was trying to save people or fix people absolutely and so we have this illusion that we can heal fix save rescue someone else and we do whatever it takes And whatever it takes often takes a really high toll on us. And that's the way in which we begin to overstep our boundaries. I was looking through your new book, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. Mm -hmm. And you had this beautiful opening, what would you call it, a poem? Yeah. Oh, I honestly, I was emotional just reading Mm -hmm. it, Nancy. And there were some words that stuck out to me that I made a note of because I wanted to talk to them talk to you about them, but it was this statement, when I am about to lose myself, that is the boundary point. Mm -hmm. When I am about to lose myself, and I just, I guess I had this moment of, oh, I have been there. I have been there where I was forced to disconnect from myself in order to prioritize someone else's well-being, I had to sacrifice me. Yeah, it's when we're abandoning ourselves for the sake of someone else. And here's the thing. We essentially have been brought up to think that considering ourselves first is indulgent, is selfish. And so we make such an effort to consider everyone else first. And I'm really here as part of my mission and message to reclaim selfish. You know, I believe that selfish, self-care, and self-love are three sisters whose job it is to support us in honoring ourselves. And I'm, the invitation right now is for all of us to consider ourselves as much as, and then ultimately more than we're considering everyone else. Because what I see is that we're making sure, you know, the metaphor to me is essentially, we're making sure that we set the table with the crystal, the china, the silver. We make sure that everyone else has the big juicy steak or the big juicy tofu, and yet we are standing over the kitchen sink in the dark eating the scraps and crumbs. And that's the metaphor for essentially how we live our lives. Oh, I just, I've got that vision in my head and I'm like, how many women especially, not saying that men aren't, but how many women do I know that would do that? Just sacrifice. Exactly. And so I'm really saying, hey, Give yourself a seat at the table and in fact, give yourself the seat at the head of the table. Start considering yourself first before you consider everyone else and reframe selfish for yourself that it's about taking good care and honoring what's true for you. I think that's it. As a recovering people pleaser, as someone who's had boundary issues in the past, I'm thinking that, you know, we're speaking to those people right now. What are the benefits of putting yourself at the head of the table? And that word selfish, I'm sure it's triggering for so Mm -hmm. many people. Mm -hmm. So how do we convince ourselves that it's worthwhile doing so, that that is going to lead to something better for us? So here's what I've noticed. I've noticed this in myself and I've noticed this in thousands of clients I have coached. 
when we are considering everyone else instead of us, we are looped into this sort of worry mindset where the constant refrain in our brain is some version of what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay? And first of all, whenever we're in worry, we are in the future. We're future tripping. So we are anywhere but the present moment. And when we are in that place of really manipulating our thoughts and our actions and contriving our expression, we are anywhere but inside of our own authentic experience. So the only way I have experienced and seen the potential and possibility for true connection is when I can show up in my truth and the container of our relationship holds your truth and mine. And I'm not talking just about intimate partnership. I'm talking about my mother. I'm talking about my sister, my coworkers, you know, my colleagues, my friends. I want to be in relationships where it's built on trust and truth and honesty, not a relationship that's built on me needing to package myself in order to be digestible to you. Oh, such a big point, Nancy. Mm. I feel like just takes a moment to sit that what I'm hearing you say is that real relationships come from meeting someone else's truth. Yes. And if you are constantly allowing your boundaries to be crossed, then you're not sharing your truth. You're not allowing people to meet the authentic part of you. Right. I mean, the craziest thing is that, you know, in one breath, we're all on some level believing that we have to hide some part of ourselves in order to be loved and accepted. You know, I have to hide some aspect of my, myself. I have to hide the secret. It's, it's the thing we think, if they knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. Whatever that might be for you. And yet, in the next breath, we're also wanting to be loved for the truth of who we are. But there's no possible way to be loved for the truth of who we are if we're not willing to reveal that truth. So to me, freedom is revealing my truth without fear. And boundaries are the bridge to that freedom. Oh, boundaries are the bridge of revealing ourselves without fear. That's good, Nancy. That's good. <laughs> I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You know, being able to stand in the truth of what's okay for me, what's not okay for me. Being able to stand in, here's how I'm going to preserve my energy. Here's what I'm going to do so that I'm not tolerating something that doesn't feel good for me. And, you know, it's important to note here, I hear from clients all the time, some version of, I tried to set a boundary, but he or she keeps crossing it. And so it's really important to understand that if our boundaries are being crossed, it's because we are the one crossing them. Can we talk more about that? Absolutely. How are we the ones? Because I hear the same thing with my clients. Mm -hmm. But I tried and they just don't get it. Or mm -hmm. I tried and it was uncomfortable. How are we the ones crossing our own boundaries? Yeah, so we have this idea that it's someone else's job to uphold, honor, or respect our boundary. But it's not. Because that would be believing that we have the power to change someone else and their behavior. And we do not. The only thing we have the power to change is our behavior and our reaction and response to the world. So from there, if our boundary is being crossed, it's because we have either crossed our own boundary or we've enabled it to be crossed. So I'm hearing that... It's our responsibility, like radical responsibility, yes. yep. that if a boundary is being crossed, then we are not standing up for ourselves, really, right? We're not saying the line in the sand is here, and it's not someone else's job to miraculously know where that line is. That's right. 
it's our job to communicate what is and what is not okay for us. Right. And so a boundary is always going to begin and end with ourselves. So my boundaries begin and end with me. And I may have a boundary that involves someone else, but regardless of that, it's still between me and me. So I can choose to communicate it or not because the promise I'm making, the commitment I'm making is to me. And when we communicate boundaries to other people, there is, this is where there's one of the biggest misconceptions I see because most people think boundaries make me a bitch or you know, boundaries make me mean or boundaries equal abandonment. You know, we have this idea that if we set a boundary, everyone around us is going to leave. I literally had that written down in one of my notes right now. Does do boundaries make us a bitch, Nancy? Right, and you already right. are speaking to it because <laughs> how many of us that are going, well, I'll be a bitch if I do that. Mm-hmm. Right. But here's the thing. We have been biting our tongue, sucking it up for so long, believing that we are somehow keeping someone else from being disappointed or angry. We're so used to being disappointed. We're so used to taking the hit that we just keep on taking it. Oh, I just ache when you say that because I know it's so true. Yes. Oh, sorry. Keep going. It's okay. It's important to say here that we can't make anyone else angry. We can't make anyone else mad. We can't make anyone else happy. And if we can start looking at your emotions and reactions are your responsibility and my truth is mine. So in other words, your reaction, your response to my truth is not my responsibility to manage. Now, I'm not saying to be reckless or disrespectful. I'm simply saying I'm no longer going to swallow my truth because I'm afraid that you might have feelings that I feel uncomfortable with. Oh, and when you said that, swallow my truth, I'm no longer going to swallow my truth. I just had that vision of like every time we swallow our truth, it's like we're swallowing poison. It is. is. So when we're setting a boundary with another person, it's really important to look at our language. So most people set a boundary with someone else in the form of an ultimatum. You know, most people come right in with the you always or you never, you know, or if you don't, you know, some kind of that, some kind of approach like that. I'm saying that the way to set a boundary is to share my experience and what I'm going to do to take care of myself. So a simple formula to work with is, you know, I feel X when you do or say, or don't do or say Y. And in order to take care of myself, I'm going to do Z. So this is not about the other person needing to change. This is about stating what I need to do for myself in order to take care of myself in the process. That's really powerful. You know, I had this question down here to ask you, and I feel like I need to ask it two ways now. Because the question was, how can we recognize that a one of Mm -hmm. our boundaries has been crossed. But in this conversation, I feel like I want to ask first, how can someone else recognize when they have crossed one of our boundaries? Because I'm just kind of listening and thinking, unless we communicate it, we can't expect someone to read our mind. Right. Exactly. So it's the second part of your question really still loops back into the first part. Because if we stay with the premise that we are the ones crossing our boundaries, it's not about the other person. And the way we, the telltale sign that a boundary has been crossed or 
that a boundary needs to be put into place will always be resentment. Oh, it's so good that you use that word because that's the word I always give to my clients too. That yeah. Because that's what I've noticed in myself, Nancy, is that little bit of resentment. And as a recovering people pleaser, I got really good at not feeling that resentment or not acknowledging it. Right, and not so acknowledging it. I had to learn how to acknowledge and let that resentment speak to learn again that 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 had gone too far for me because if I'm feeling resentment something's gone too far that's right if I'm feeling resentment something's gone too far because I've allowed it to go too far so it's always really important to me to bring I back into the conversation because if we stay you know, if we, if we stay in the pointing the finger at someone else, it leaves us in blame and victim. You know, that's where, that's where we're embodying the victim mindset. If we move into the I, then we are in responsibility and empowerment. Oh, I like it. Oh, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other piece here that I often hear from people, you know, sort of piggybacking on selfish is guilt. Yes. The guilt of taking care of myself, the guilt of meeting my own needs, the guilt of putting myself first, the guilt of considering myself. And I also want to reframe guilt here in this context because to me, guilt is the indicator that you're honoring yourself. And it feels so unfamiliar because you've been honoring everyone else for so long. So it's just about the discomfort. We have such a default to guilt as bad. And part of it is just being able to be with the discomfort of feeling something that's unfamiliar and recognizing that it is the indicator that you're choosing you. Have you noticed that guilt is more present when people are first learning or first sort of recovering uh, a sense of putting boundaries in place that feel good to them? Does it dissipate with time? It does dissipate with time, but it's really strong at first. And it's often the excuse people will use why they can't put boundaries in place or why they can't consider themselves first. So part of it then is bringing in how can we how can we support you in giving yourself permission to feel the guilt and still make a different choice than you've made in the past. Because part of it is really being able to sit with that short-term discomfort instead of long-term resentment. Oh, you know, I've been talking a lot about emotions and how with my clients and how I feel like we've labeled so many as bad, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to feel that way or I shouldn't feel that way. And I was having a conversation last week about how emotions are just there to talk to us and, you know, guilt is one form, but resentment, oh, resentment's a hard one to live with. It is because it's a constant reminder that we are, to me, it's really a constant reminder that we are not stepping into our fullest. You know, it, to me, the resentment is what piggybacks on the not enoughness. I hear you. I absolutely hear you. They're all just so interwoven. And I mm -hmm. think resentment does often go with that victim mindset of, of not taking responsibility for, like you said, owning your truth or claiming your truth. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. So much good <laughs> stuff, Nancy. Yeah. All right. So I was mentioning that I saw you speak five years yes. ago and I learned yes. a little bit about your story. I would love to talk a little bit about your personal journey with boundaries and perhaps sure. the lack of them or how you struggled <laughs> through some of this. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the part that boundaries have played in your life journey to date? Sure. And you know, what I will say from the outset is, as I was saying before, you know, just like everyone else, I didn't learn about boundaries. I didn't learn how to set boundaries. I didn't learn that it was okay to have boundaries. And I, you know, I remember even sort of really hearing 
about the concept in a therapy session. And my therapist said, you know, gave me a piece of rope. And I write about this in Jump in Your Life Will Appear. My therapist gave me a piece of rope and said, I want you to put this rope around you to delineate your personal boundary, your, you know, around space or energy. And I sat on the floor so that, and I was crunched in like a ball so tight that the only things on the floor were like my tailbone and my heels. And I put the rope around me so close to my body. That's what I, that's what I at that time thought my boundary was, which is essentially nothing. And so I was constantly seeking external validation, constantly seeking approval. I was bending over backwards to make sure everyone else had what they need. I prided myself on my self-sufficiency and independence. I was projecting an image of perfection to the world. I was managing the perception of others. So I was essentially giving them the lens I wanted them to see me through. And all of this takes a tremendous amount of energy. That's what I was going to ask, Nancy. What was the price you paid? Was it exhausting? It was incredibly exhausting. I was empty. I mean, it's the word I, it's the only word I can think of. I was really just devoid of, of myself. I had lost myself in all the giving in all the overgiving, in all the overachieving. And what happens for those of us who attach our sense of worth and value to what we do achieve and produce, this is what happens. We essentially hook our worthiness onto someone else's wagon. And it's a very precarious proposition because we're putting someone else in charge of our worth. Is this addiction to external validation? Is that a good way to sum it up? It's a great way to sum it up. It's absolutely a great way to sum it up. And literally, it is about weaning ourselves off of that constant need for approval, looking outside of ourselves for what we need to give ourselves first. Everything we're seeking externally needs to be resolved internally first. I will tell you firsthand, I was the queen of chasing the gold stars and I got a billion of them. I was about to say, you did a very good job of it, didn't you, Nancy? I did. I got no amount of gold stars will ever be enough to fill the void that we feel inside of ourselves. You also said in your book that when you deny your own needs for many years, they eventually get expressed sideways. Can we talk about how this happened in your life? Absolutely. So, you know, the real turning point for me in my life, my career, my everything was essentially the blow up of my marriage that occurred in that occurred in April of 2008. So I was on my way home from a gathering, gathering gold stars. I was gathering gold stars. Exactly. I was on my way home. So I should say I was the event director at Hay House at that time. I was touring the world with the greatest minds and teachers and authors in the field of self-empowerment. And I also read the introduction to your book where you were talking about how you bent over backwards to make sure that was always flawless. There's a good story in there, people. Go and read the book. There's a great story in there, right? (laughs) So I, so I was on my way home from that, from that trip and essentially, and you know, all the gory details are in my books, but essentially I, I, I came home to the, to the, to the, uh, revelation that my now ex-husband had read my journals and what he had discovered in my journals was that I'd had an affair eight years prior. And it took me two years to leave the marriage because everything in me wanted to preserve that image of perfection. I was someone who lived by the motto, never let them see you sweat. He knew my greatest fear was any sort of exposure. 
and he threatened me. We lived, we were in a marriage for 18 years that was predicated on his rage and my silence. So as much of a powerhouse as I was at work and out in the world, when it came to being at home, I had no voice. I certainly didn't have the ability to assert any sort of boundary. I certainly was told by him that that was, that that was not even on the table for me, that my needs were not going to be considered. And I, because of that rescuing, saving, fixing persona that we were talking about earlier, because that was so strong in me, I believed I could save him. I could fix him. I could heal him. I could do that. And so I began sublimating all my wants and needs in service of all of his. And as we became more enmeshed and as the marriage progressed, I lost myself completely. I I disappeared. Oh, I just feel emotional because I'm like, how many women can just see themselves in your story right now? You know, how many women, I know I speak to women who feel this way, Nancy, and I'm just like, wow. And I look back at my own life and I'm like, I easily could have ended up in situations like that. And thank God I didn't. But I mean, it was the luck of the draw for me. It was really nothing more. So you were sublimating your own needs. You are at this point where you have lost yourself in your marriage because you are prioritizing your husband's needs and just trying to keep him happy. That's right. But yet you're a powerhouse in the business world. I feel like I've seen this in other women too. How do you think this happens? Is this codependence? It's it's what is now being referred to as high-functioning codependence. So it is it is the way in which we can be one way in one aspect of our lives, you know, and yet when it comes to being at home, we are constantly checking ourselves against another person. So I really define codependency as needing someone else to regulate me emotionally. And that's what it looked like in my marriage. He finds out that you've had the affair Mm -hmm. and then you take two years until it completely falls apart. Mm -hmm. Is this where you reclaimed the sense of truth and self? Is this the start of the beginning? Was this the beginning for you? This this was the beginning for me because still in the time that we were that, you know, in that two year period, I was at that point going even beyond, beyond uh, going you know, over beyond, the top, right, like well like going, past your own boundaries. Like I right, will sacrifice I mean, so, everything. Right. So beyond my boundaries to try to keep us together and not have anyone know. And part of it was really being with my own shame. So I had a lot of resolution I needed to be with around my own feeling of shame and understanding that, you know, the bottom line is I wasn't telling the truth to myself. If me now could go back in time, I would have said to my then husband, Hey, this isn't working. I want out, you know, some version of that. (laughs) Yeah. And saved yourself two years of absolute pain, you know, but I couldn't, who I was at the time couldn't do it. So she did what she did, what she thought she could do. And I now know that essentially I set a bomb in my journal to detonate eight years later. I didn't know how to blow up my marriage. Right. So, so, and that's what happens when we don't tell the truth. A, we create chaos to avoid the truth. And when we don't tell the truth, the truth will come out and it will come out sideways. It will come out in self-destruction. It will come out in illness. It will come out in sabotage, but it will come out. We can't just keep swallowing our truth. Right. Oh, I just, yeah, so many little aha moments for me, just as I think through just how much this resonates. Do you know, at the very same Hay House Writers Workshop I was at, um, Reed Tracy's the Hay House. Yeah. Yeah, he said, um, he said, one thing I've found to be true is that people 
recognize truth when they read it. And I just feel like our conversation right now, it's just that that resonance of truth that is just landing with me. And it's like, whoa, yes. 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 <laughs> oh, okay. Let's just uh, mess it up a little bit and we'll learn some more about you. We've got really personal. So let's go to the superficial now, Nancy. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your nightstand? Oh, how interesting. Do you know? <laughs> of course I do. Um, I have linen spray. I have tissue. I have um, lip balm and I have foot cream. Can we ask what linen spray is? Does that make your sheets smell <laughs> oh, delicious? It does. It makes your sheets smell delicious. I have um, I have a rose geranium and I have a lavender. I may need linen spray. <laughs> Do you know, because I always say, like I talk about joy triggers and self-care and scents is absolutely one of yeah. mine. Like I have a candle right now on in the background and yeah. I love my essential oils. It might annoy my husband, but I maybe need some linen spray. I love it. <laughs> oh, sounds so good. Are you a morning person or a night person, Nancy? Morning person, a hundred percent. So I have just become a morning person. And one of my <laughs> listeners was laughing at me recently because she's like, what happened to you? Because if people you've listened right from the start, you'll know that when I used to ask this question, I was like, really? <laughs> now I'm a morning person. It was a it. choice. Have yes. you always been a morning person? Always, oh. always, always. I wish I'd always been. It would have made life easier, but no, now I am. All right. What is your favorite self-care activity? Mm, I I have to say my my favorite self care activity is my morning meditation. Every morning. Every morning. What does that look like for you? What kind of meditation do you do? Um, I sit I sit in silence for uh, I sit in silence for eighteen minutes. And how do you think it's changed you or changed your life? Well, I mean, <laughs> you're like where to start? I know. I mean, it's a it's. It's a it's part of a bigger conversation, which I'll which I'll share pieces of uh, about when was it? It was November of 2015. So already, you know, a, a good while ago, over four years ago, I went to Thailand to do a silent 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat at a monastery. And I had never been a meditator. I had meditated. I knew what meditation was, but I had never been a meditator, nor did I ever really think that it was something I wanted to do. But I went to this retreat and uh, to my great surprise, I have been a consistent meditator since that retreat. And it has become... I would say one of my greatest non-negotiables and one of the most important parts of my day. And I, I look forward to it. I cherish it. I love the, I love the um, experience of being able to be in silence and stillness. I have witnessed the way it has shifted my, uh, my crazy mind. I have witnessed the way it has stopped worry in my brain the way it has allowed me to be with discomfort, the way that it has allowed me to slow down my reactions. And, you know, what I'll say is I also implemented this practice shortly after I got back from this meditation retreat. So these, to me, these go hand in hand. And this is also a tremendous self-care practice. When I go to bed at night, I put my phone in airplane mode. So when I wake up in the morning, there are no notifications. That's cool. It, it is, I will tell you, it, it has probably hand in hand with meditation had the most significant impact on my nervous system. It's, yeah, because I have mine on do not disturb, but it still has notifications. Different. Right. Yeah. Oh. Right. So I put my phone in airplane mode when I go to bed at night. And when I wake up in the morning... I have no notifications. I can go right into my insight timer app for meditation and I don't put my Wi-Fi back on until at least I've been awake for an hour. So, you know, I get up and I go right to the cushion and then I'll read or I'll listen to an audiobook or listen to a podcast while I'm drinking my water in the morning and then I'll make my coffee and then I'll have my coffee and then I'll put my Wi-Fi back on at some point. But 
And again, I'm an early riser, so I'm putting my Wi-Fi back on long before anyone even <laughs> However, however, that shift has so significantly impacted my my nervous system. You know, even this morning, I mean, I, it's a perfect example. You know, I I was up early, I meditated, I sat, I did my whole thing. By the time I turned my Wi-Fi back on, there was a little bit of an emergency in my business. You know, but and I took care of it. And I even was, while I was taking care of it, noticing, had that had I seen that notification upon waking, it would have thrown my day into a frenzy. Mm. But you were but, able to approach it with a centered yeah, mind. I was, because I was able to have my own experience. I was able to do what I needed to do for me. And then by the time I got to the emergency, I was able to take care of it. And really, did it need to get taken care of an hour before that? Not really. Yeah. I mean, you could have. You could have taken care of it. But like, really? I would have. I mean, the old me would have. The old me would have like, you know, jumped up and taken care of it. But the fact that I now give myself that time and space for me puts me in a much better mindset and state to be able to take care of whatever it is that comes my way. Yeah, no, I hear you. Is there a book that has touched you at an important point in your life, Nancy? One of those books that you just picked up at the right time and the message landed and you ran with it. I'm going to have to say You Can Heal Your Life by Louise. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the reasons you were drawn to Hay House after reading that book? I have had always been interested in in the fields of you know self empowerment motivation self help all of it and i was i was actually courted by hay house to come run their event division and it was it was like a dream come true mm. and then the journey began and then the journey began <laughs> What's a life lesson that took you a good long while to learn, Nancy? Oh. <laughs> She's like, wow, so many. I'm writing books still. So, <laughs> yeah, but I, I really, I will say um, the, that it is about, you know, giving myself permission to put myself first. It Very is about, you know, this. knowing my worth and my value is inherent in me and I can choose me first. What is one thing in your day that you can't do without? You know, so since I've already mentioned the meditation, I won't be boring. I'll mention something else. I actually, it's it's so funny, especially from me, you know, type A overachiever, three on the Enneagram, the whole thing. When I, early in the morning when I'm up, I, after my meditation, I sit and I drink a big mason jar of warm lemon water and I look out my window and that has now become such an such an important part of my day too, to just give myself the time to look out the window, even if it's dark out. And I realize like that is another thing that helps set me up mentally for whatever's coming. I'm just hearing it's this these moments of space. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's space is everything to me. You know, freedom is really like my greatest, like what I value the most. It's my highest value. And to me, freedom is also linked in time and space. Mm. How would you describe the soul? Oh, boy. I know. These are the hard (laughs) questions. I start light with the whole nightstand thing, and then I'm like, let's go deep. (laughs) So what's popping into my mind is, you know, the soul is poetry. It's essence. It's, you know, it's it's, it's me distilled down to my very essence. Oh, it's you distilled down to your very essence. That's beautiful. And that is poetry right there. Yeah. What does fulfillment mean to you, Nancy? Mm. <laughs> I like that. That was like that was like a fun and childish giggle. Well, because it's, you know, it's fulfillment for me is really being being 100% so I'll say controlled, controlled and boundaried around my time. I, it, that is fulfillment to me, knowing that I have, knowing that I have control over the way I'm spending my time. 
Oh, that's and that's very much tied in with what we're talking about today. So that feels just perfect. Right. For those of us who are potentially, you call it, which I love it, the do-it-all doormats, mm-hmm. the, the people pleasers, the overgivers. How can we start to reclaim ourselves? The the way that we can do this is by starting to pause when questions and requests are are asked of us. So this is how we start in. This is how we start inserting ourselves. This is how we start to reclaim ourselves. So in other words, instead of going into the knee-jerk yes when we want to say no, instead of thinking about how something's going to impact someone else first, consider what the impact is on us. Mm, I'm hearing that it's learning to listen to yourself. And that takes, it takes a pause. It does. It takes a pause and then it's learning to listen and then being willing to express. So really checking in and getting clear on our preferences and our desires and then expressing from there. Mm, Learning how to use our voice again. One step at a time, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to touch a tiny bit more on codependence because I kind of uh, brushed over that, but I know it's a topic I think that the audience will be like, I want to know more. You touched on how you had got into a high-functioning codependent relationship with your husband Mm -hmm. and you were busy running around trying to make sure that he was happy while sacrificing more and more of yourself to do so. Can we Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about what codependence looks like? and what some of the signs in our our relationships might be? Yeah, you know, it's any time that we are, so as I was saying before, it's when we're looking for someone else to regulate us emotionally. So it's, it's whenever we're in that mindset of what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay, or it's when we're, you know, taking someone else's temperature before we're taking our own. When we're, when we're looking to see what's going on with someone else and then we mood match, it's when we're walking on eggshells because essentially what we're really doing is we're wanting, we're wanting to, uh, we're thinking that we're protecting ourselves and the other person, but what we're really doing is creating more of a disconnection. So true. And that just ties Mm -hmm. back into what we were saying at the start, that the more you hold back on expressing your truth, the further you allow someone to connect, you know, the further away you get from that authentic connection. Right. So it works in the moment and you pay the price in the long term. It's a short term fix. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Oh, so much power. So much power. I just have one more question for you, Nancy, as we wrap up. Sure. How can we get better at setting boundaries? Is it being aware? Does that help? Well, sure. Being aware definitely helps. But what I would say is, you know, what I, what I was saying before is, is we have to get sort of micro and granular here, especially for those of us where this is really new. So it's, it's, getting clear on what's okay and what's not okay, getting clear on what we will or will not do, tolerate and accept, which has to link back to what do I actually want? So we have to step into being okay with wanting and receiving. So we have to first clue in on what are our preferences? What are our desires? And if that feels lofty, I often tell my clients, start with something where the stakes are really low. Start with something small. You know, one of the simplest ways to begin is, and we've all experienced this, you know, I say to you, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? And you say, I don't care. Where do you want to go? (laughs) Right? Yeah. I've been there with people. (laughs) Sure. So to start there, to start with let me, someone asks me, where do you want to go for dinner? Let me actually just take a moment to consider. Oh, I want sushi tonight. Yeah. Asserting your and opinion. To just, and to just name, I want sushi. 
Now, the other person might want Italian, and there might be a conversation about what we're actually going to decide to have tonight. And maybe it's we have sushi tonight and Italian next week, or Italian tonight and sushi next week, or whatever. Or maybe the other person's allergic to fish, or whatever it is. But I can assure you that you will feel far less resentment if you name you want sushi than you will feel if you don't. And to start, just to start there, so to just be able to build in the pause is really everything. It's really everything. And just not consistently subjugating your needs to keep exactly. the other person happy, but asserting your opinion. And and like you said, even if there is a negotiation, uh, you'll feel so much better for having shared your truth. Exactly. I like that low start stakes game. Start with the low stakes. I actually lied because I do have one more question for you. And that is that if you were to leave Here to Thrive listeners with one thought today, Nancy, what would it be? That every single thing in your life comes down to choice. And you are so much more empowered than you know that you are. So I look at this in terms of if we can agree that every that where we are right now is the culmination of every choice, decision, action we've made up until now, it only goes to prove that if we don't do anything different, our lives are going to look the same. So if we are wanting change, we need to be willing to make different choices. And the present moment choices we make are the predictor of our future. So our present moment choices are essentially our crystal ball. So much to take in there. As I mentioned, Nancy's book is really powerful. It is by far the best book I have personally read on boundaries. She's very good at packaging things up in a way that makes it very understandable and easy to follow. So highly recommend you go and grab your copy of the book, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. You can find a link to that in the show notes at thrive.how forward slash podcast one three two or the show notes in iTunes. You can find out more about Nancy at her website, which is nancylevin.com. That's Nancy N-A-N-C-Y Levin.com. Thank you for your reviews. I love seeing them continue to pop up and it means so much to me to know you're out there and appreciating what we're sharing over here with Here to Thrive. Until the week after next. Keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving. Thriving.